Here we are, ladies. We are at Parshas Kisisa for the Ashkenazim. Kitisa for the more Sephardic pronunciation. And we're getting close to the end of the Chumash. Next week, we're going to have a double Parsha. And we are go- double Parsha next week, not this week. And next week, we're going to finish Chumash Shemos. Um, and yeah. So we were going to have Chazak Chazak next week, yes. But let's stick with today. And where we are today, good morning, everybody. It feels like very much the day, the morning after. It's <laughs> totally feeling. What? We are Parshas Kitisa. It's chapter 30, verse 11. Okay. Um, I once heard from my son, from Mendel, that he heard from his teacher, and that's as authoritative as this, um, as this vart is, is that if anybody has been following along in the Chumash, has been doing their Chumash this week, they will have noticed that the first two aliyahs are very, 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 very long. long. I was going to give one more very, but yeah. They're very long. Um, and there's a lot of stuff happening. And then when you get to the three, four, five, six, and seven, they're very short. They're very short. So he wants, he told, this is a, a tire that I heard from Mendel, who heard from his teacher. And that, like I said, that's as, as authoritative as it gets. It's because the second aliyah is when we read the story of the golden calf. And the reason that it's broken up like this is that we don't want anybody to be called up for the Torah and we're like, I know why you got this, Aliyah. Because one of the things that we know about the golden calf is that all of the tribe of Levi was not part of it. So Levi, the Levi Aliyah gets called up for the golden calf. So it's like, you did not do this, right? It's not like sometimes we, you know, one could, if you were like, I don't know, whatever the word is, like, call people up, and it's, like, highlighting, like, their issues. So, um, that's my take on it, not the Rebbe. So, the first aliyah is very, 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 very long, because we want Levi to get the whole golden calf, and the whole golden calf story goes to the Levi, and we know about Levi, that after the whole debacle goes down, when Moshe says, Mila Hashem Eli, which we know from Hanukkah, but it actually shows up here first, who is Hashem come to me? The entire tribe of Levi comes to Moshe. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. So that's just a quick intro so to Levi what's going on. Levi did not serve, did, was not involved in the making or serving of the golden calf. So that's just a nice little thing. So um, they don't have to read no, no. anything related? I no, 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 no. So Meaning it's not like somebody gets called up and we're like, oh, I know why you got called up for this, Aaliyah. This is your issue. Like, oh, you were part of it. You served Avayda Zara. You were whatever. No. Shayda Levy, the Levy who gets called up, had no part of this. We're not pointing fingers. Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't think anybody actually does it. I don't think they line up Aliyah. So, like, the guy who cheats on his taxes gets, like, low signal. You know, like, I don't think that's how it works out. But, but here, very specifically, um, that was this, this entire sort of that sensitivity to saying, how careful are we to make sure that... So some, the first that, well, isn't amazing. No. The oh. first Aliyah is a Kohen. The second mm-hmm. Aliyah is a Levi. And the Levi gets called up for the golden calf. What okay? if there isn't a Levi? In- then somebody gets called up in place of a Levi. But it is considered the Levi Aliyah. So it doesn't matter if, you know, if there's a Shul that doesn't have a Kohen or a Levi and they fill it in. It doesn't... Meaning they don't get called up. They're not a lady, but they, be, they get called up bimkom Cohen or bimkom Levi in place of the Cohen or in place of the lady, so that lady designation still, still stays. Let's start at the beginning. 
Oh, before we start at the beginning, I'm going to jump one more thing. This week, we also have another one of our, our parshas. And yes, Amber, you do not have a biblical obligation to go to Shul to hear this one. This week, we hear parshas para. We hear about the, 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 red, the red calf, the red heifer, which is the purification process for somebody who came in contact with the dead. Who came in contact with the dead. Now again, just like we said, all these Torah portions, it's going to be a, Torah, a second Torah scroll that's taken out. It's going to be read as maftir. Okay? Uh-huh. What? Why are you reading para? I'm telling you. That's my next sentence. Now, what's the story of para? People did not have any obligation to go to the temple on a regular basis. So in, the, in biblical times, when we had a temple... There was no obligation to stay in a place of tahara, which we call accessibility to holiness, unless you had plans to go to the base of Mikdash. If you had to go to the temple, you had to be accessible. You had to be able to go into that space. But everybody has to bring the carbon Pesach. So everybody has to go. So they're giving us a warning because the purification process with the red heifer takes a full week. So they're giving, they're, we're going to read about this we're going to read about this purification process. It's coming out of Tumah uh, to become accessible to holiness, for, specifically from coming in contact with a dead person or dead body or whatever. Um, uh, we read about it so that you have time to start the process or to deal with the process so that you could come to the Beis HaMikdash in about a month to oh my uh, gosh, are you serious? Right, so the, so para para is actually when we t- I I think you just covered I think you covered this with my husband, but para is actually tied to hachodesh. Hachodesh is the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Is that next week? That's the next week, and para gets read the Shabbos before hachodesh. So when hachodesh is next this upcoming week, we are going to read about Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So the Shabbos before that, we're like ah para duma. If we're going to be reading about Rosh Chodesh Nisan soon. That means Pesach is coming, which means in case you have come in contact with a dead person, now is the time to start that purification process. And I want to just add a thought. And the thought is that um, we talk about it a lot, but, but one of the things that I, I, I want to just highlight is that one of the odd oddities yeah, um, of the paraduma, of the red heifer, is that every single person involved in preparing the, t- the paraduma becomes impure. The yeah. kohen who mixes the water and the ash, the kohen who sprinkles the water, they become impure, not for seven days, but for till the night, and they can't do the service, which means they're coming to help somebody who came in contact with the dead. Now, if you were to like zoom out and not say the dead person, we're talking about this place of non-living, how far from God could you be that you are in a place of non-giving? Now, a Kohen who serves in the house of Hashem, who knows what it means to be able to eat from Karbanais and all this kind of stuff, he gets it. He understands what's going on. And still he says, to help another person who's so far from God that they are spiritually dead, I'm willing to put myself in a place that I will not be able to access holiness to help another person. Did that make sense in English? Yeah. So before I get, before I get to your question, for us, Where's the balance between how do I fill my holiness and my need for closeness to Hashem and my place of how do I help another person? Where's my place that I can reach out to somebody who, if I was to objectively look at them, they're maybe not doing so well. 
but I have the ability to help them. And I think that's what we learned from the Kohen, that sometimes we need to say, yes, I could be doing something to enhance my holiness, but maybe what's demanded of me right now is to help somebody else get out of their really bad space. Amber. If preparing it makes them... Impure. Tame. They just use it. What? If preparing the red pepper makes them tame, then why can't they, if there's left on the food? No, no, no. It's a different... It's different... Okay. In Tuma... Good question, Amber. If... Why can't they just use the water on themselves? In Tuma, there are different levels of Tuma. Tuma's mace, which is coming in contact with the dead, is the most severe form. Okay, so for that, you have a whole long process. You have to get sprinkled on the third day, on the seventh day. It's like it's a whole long process. Many other forms of tumah, such as what the Kohen would engage in, would, would become, it just means that they have to wait till the night. No, sorry, they go to the mikvah, they wait till the night, and then they're okay. So it's not like such a long thing. They don't need to be sprinkled, it's, but it is a, it is a, it is a tumah that that's happening to them. So that for that amount of time, they're not accessible to holiness, Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they go to the they, they go to the mikvah during the day and then it, and then they um, and they have to wait till the night and then they are no longer tameh. So it's a different level, it's different grades of it. Okay? Good question. Okay, and now let's dive into our parsha. Okay, parsha's kisisa. The first thing that we're going to talk about over here, and we know key, the first thing we're talking about is when we want to count the Jewish people, and the expression that's used is kitisa to uplift them, to raise them up. There is something in the county that isn't just a number, but we're also elevating the people as we highlight them, right? As we count them, and we highlight, you know, we're sort of elevating them as well. And Hashem is telling Moshe, how do we do this count? How do we do the count? Anybody? If you turn the page or the next half shekel, half shekel okay? The half shekel is what's, be, what's used for a census. If you ever noticed, the Jews, we don't count people one, two, three, four, five. We, we, you know, we count toes and divide by ten. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, the not one, not two. Or in biblical times, they used to collect an, an item, and the item was a half shekel. And then they would count the coins, and they would know how many people there were. Now, Rashi points out over here that there are actually, this is part of the trumot. These are part of the donations that the Jewish people gave to the Mishkan. And there, in fact, Rashi highlights that there are three different kinds of trumot that were given, three, type, three types of donations. Truma number one is a half shekel. This kind, it was a census half shekel. And this particular half shekel was used to make the sockets that the, that the boards of the Mishkan stood in. Okay? What do you mean? If you remember when we, had, when we talked about the Mishkan a few weeks ago, we had a gorgeous Rivka Marga drawing of wooden planks that had silver sockets as like a movable foundation. So they took all these shekels, they melted it down, and they made it into the foundation, the sort of the sort of portable foundation for the Mishkan. Okay? It was for the the Ohel Moed, which we said was the holy and the holy of holies together. That not the courtyard. The courtyard had different ones. But this is from the so all this so the so donation number one was a half shekel for every t- over 20 year old and it was used for the it was used for the for over 20 years old 20 and over gave a, that's who the census was so that was one thing in any other time that they did a census um and they they in the in the in the desert they count the, the people a few times and the other times they do it is also they want it when like who cares how many people there are like what's the point it's not just how do we um how do we 
uh, divide resources, but if we understand, right now the Jews are headed towards the land of Israel. So we need to know how many people we have that can, for an army. So that's kind of what the census is, is about. So one truma, one donation that we give is the half shekel that becomes the sockets of the Mishkan. The second truma that we give is another half shekel that's going to be a yearly tax on people that's going to go for karbanot sibor, for the communal sacrifices, because everybody had to have part when every single day. Remember what we talked about last week? Twice a day they offered up communal sacrifices on behalf of all the people, and that had to come from everybody's money. So every single year there was a tax the people it's gave. just like one half shekel? Yes. A half shekel for the year, but there's, there's enough people. That's enough to buy enough animals to have this, to have a community. So, so the second thing they did was ended up being it was given then, but it was also going to be a yearly tax of a half shekel that went for communal sacrifices. Okay. Would they do the census? So they need no. So there was two different things. Meaning the the census was specifically for army. Okay, so it was males twenty and over. Uh, the official biblical commandment for the Karbanot Zibor, I think, was also for males, but women could give it, okay? okay. And, and because they have, they have to be part of it. But the biblical commandment is to men. So there's two different kinds of things that are going on over here. Um, so the second thing was a, a tax, a half-shekel tax for the communal sacrifices. That was a yearly thing. So that's why, remember we started talking about Shkolim? Remember we had it, we read, a, we read one of our four parashas with Shkolim was because the count for, for sacrifices goes, changes in Nisan. After Nisan we have like the new, the new money comes in and that's when we start, we have to use up the old money. It's not like some endowment fund that just stays there. It gets used up that year and then the new money comes in for Nisan and so that was why we read Shkolim before. Um, so it's for Nisan they count it. We have the, oh, and the third donation was what we talked about. What whatever your heart desires and whatever you're interested in giving to build the Mishkan for Hashem. So there were actually three donations given for the tabernacle. Of those, one is actually a yearly tax that's going to continue all the way through. What's and the it's third? Half shekel, half shekel, and whatever you want to give. Those are the three. So you have a half shekel that become the sockets, you have a half shekel that become the sacrifices, and you have the gold and the silver and the acacia wood and blah, 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 blah. All those 15, art, 15 items that were asked for in the last partial that we spoke about. Well, I don't understand. Okay. If they're like kind of desert, in the desert. Yes. Like, how would like currency... Be relevant? Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I'm making up this answer so you don't actually have I to buy it. No, 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 you don't have to accept it. I'm just, I just want you to know that I'm making up this answer. Um, the plan A is that we're not going, the plan A was not that we're going to be in the desert for 40 years. Yeah. The plan A was we're going to get the, ta- you know, we're going to get the Torah, we're going to go to the land of Israel, so we need money for the, for the sacrifices. But in the middle, that's where our parsha is if we ever get to it. We end up with golden calf, and it's like, boom, you're going to be here for 40 years. In fact, it doesn't actually happen now. It happens later by the spies. But like, this is where the first time that we have this conversation of, of uh, staying here for, for such a long time. So was it relevant in the desert? I don't know how many work. Like if, every, if, Hash, if they get everything from Hashem, how does that work? I don't know. But, um, but it's, that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was, yalla, let's go to Eretz Yisrael. Let's, let's keep moving. Is there any on, on what? On the half shekel? Yeah. Everything. First of all, the, the, you, didn't you talk about... The, didn't we... Oh, I wasn't here when we did Shkallam. I wasn't here when we did Shkallam. You didn't do Shkallam? 
Okay, so I'm going to give you the shortest thing because it's right here at the beginning. Two things I want to say. First of all, Rashi says that Moshe had a very hard time understanding this half shekel. So what does Hashem do? He shows him a fiery coin. And Moshe's like, oh, I got it now. Like, really? How did that help? What's so hard about a half shekel that you didn't understand what the point of it was? And Moshe doesn't understand that it's little. It's a... I'm not saying it's physically little. It's not like this massive, massive amount. We were talking about this at the Varangian after Purim. Like that place of something little, a small... He's like, how does a half shekel atone for your soul? How is that going to work? And Hashem's like, it's not about the money. It's about the fire. It's about the meaning and the passion and the energy that goes behind it, that, that stands behind it. That means everybody's going to, we all did whatever it is that we did, and this is going to be an atonement for us. How is it an atonement when we can make it fiery, when we can throw our heart and soul and passion into what we're doing? Then, then it's an atonement. It's not because, oh, we gave like, you know, it's not even 50 cents. A half shekel is a little bit more than that, but like, it's, it's like a little bit. And so Moshe doesn't understand that. So, so the fiery coin is the first, thing, the first message. And then Moshe's like, oh, I got it. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. That's me paraphrasing Moses in case you didn't get that one. Okay, that's one thing. Second of all, and this is all over Hasidus and lots of commentators also talk about this because the Torah tells us that a rich person couldn't give more and a poor person couldn't give less. And at the end of the day, we have to understand that we are only half. We are without another person we are not complete. We are only a half a shekel. We only are giving a half a shekel, which symbolizes that we are incomplete without another. And it's not only, you know, it, 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 the metaphors go all the way through. It talks about, it, we have it in, in marriage, we have it in any relationships. But as we stand, we, the Jewish people, we are not complete on our own. We are, we are not an island, and we, we cannot do this by ourselves. And as long as we understand that we are not the whole, the whole thing, we can also create space for the other. The other thing which is very interesting is that, um, that a whole shekel coin is actually, and the Chomish tells us, is actually 20 geira. Okay, now it's like, you know when you talk about other currencies and you have no idea what they're talking about? Okay, it's like, great, how much is a geira, right? So tw- uh, uh, the, the whole shekel is 20 geira, and a half shekel then is 10 geira. Now if I say 10, what do we know about 10. or within our person. All of our 10 faculties have to be, we're only a half, and yet we're all a whole. We are a full 10 intellectual and emotional abilities joining with another complete 10, and then we become a whole shekel. But how does 20, like what's the idea behind the 20 spheres no, 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 it's, no, it's two complete, it's two complete sets coming together to create a whole. Got it? Meaning it's not like when we talk about, oh, um, I, my better half or whatever, right? Or my other half, however you want to call it. It's, the other half isn't a piece. It's not, you ever see kids share? Give me half of your cookie. Like, here, you can have that piece and I have this piece. That's not what it is. Every single person in the relationship has to be complete. They have to have their full 10 intellectual and emotional capacities fixed, like we say in Hebrew. I don't know how you say it in English, but like it has to be like on point. 
And then you're a real person joining with another real person to create a whole that is totally different than either of you on your own could have done. Is that smaller currency? 20 gera. 20 gera. 20 gera. Doesn't it feel like a, like a hot, like a, like a Harry Potter thing? Like the these and the those are like, I have no idea, right? So it's, it's tired, so I shouldn't make such jokes, but it's kind of like 20 gera and a half a shekel is 10 gera. And, and yeah, so when we, when we're coming into this place of shekel, we are, we have to, I think for ourselves, it's so important to understand as well. And this is my little pontification and you don't have to buy it. We're not waiting for somebody else to come and complete me because I am incomplete. I'm waiting for somebody that I can take my completeness and join up with their completeness and then have something bigger and better. I'm not a nothing waiting. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's the first thing. That's the, the first thing we're talking about is we're having the whole half shekel situation. And when we read the Baharsha of the Shekel, we read, we read it from here. Oh, from Kisisa, exactly. Okay? And then here we're talking about, so this goes till Sigizunt. This goes Sigizunt. It's 11. One more? No. Okay. Beseder. Okay, we are up to chapter 30, verse 17. The next thing that's going on here is the last vessel of the Mishkan we're told to make. And what is it? What are we being made? The, what are we, chapter, chapter 30, verse 17. What's the last item that we are... T- that Hashem is telling Moshe to make? Copper urn for washing. Copy, copper urn, exactly. Copper urn for washing, a.k.a. the negolosser. If you will notice, if you will notice, there are no dimensions given for the kior. Okay, in Hebrew it's called a kior. It's, I, I drew it, it was the funny spider-ish looking thing. Um, the kior was, was copper and it had faucets on it and they used to fill it with water and the Kohanim, before they started their service, would wash their hand and foot Try to do that. Hand and foot, hand and foot, together. They do it together? Right hand, right foot, left hand, left foot, together, yeah. They would wash it, okay? And then they would start their service. What was the cure made of? Copper. Cool. It was made of copper, yes. But what? where did they get the copper? And Rashi tells us a very interesting thing about the copper. Where did they get the copper? They get it. One second. Where does it say? First, we're talking about where it comes from. Uh, maybe it's not Rashi. Maybe it's from the Medrash. Okay, where did they get the copper? The, when Hashem said, everybody, let's build a house for God. Give me your most precious items. The women came and brought their mirrors. And they had copper mirrors. Now, we have gorgeous mirrors today, so we don't, uh, we don't appreciate it. But basically... Um, they, they said, we're going to donate these for Hashem. We're going to give our copper mirrors to God. And Moshe's like, <gasps> vanity, we can't use that in the house of Hashem. And Hashem said to Moshe, without these mirrors, we would have no people to redeem. Because what happened in Egypt? The men came home, the men came home from work and they were tired and they were exhausted and they were frustrated and they were living a terrible existence. Okay, and they'd been doing it for many, many years. And the women knew, partially because of Miriam, but also because the power of the Jewish women, they knew that there was going to be a redemption and we had to hold on long enough for it to happen. And they knew that if we did not have children, there would be no one to redeem. And so they used to take the mirrors and they would make themselves beautiful 
And the Medrash talks about how they used to tease their husbands and seduce them with the mirrors and say, who's more beautiful and who's more beautiful? And because of these copper mirrors, there was a generation of Jews who were born who would be able to be redeemed from exile. Okay? And, and so when, when they come and bring these, these items to Moshe, and Moshe's like, eh, I don't do this. Hashem's like, no, 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 you take it. And not only do you take it, this Messiah Snefesh in the, of the women from the heart of exile to make sure that there would be continuity to the Jewish people, that's what the Kohanim have to purify their hands and feet with before they start their service of Hashem. They have to, and the only thing in the entire Mishkan that sparkled was the Kiar. Okay? It's, it was shiny. The women had, had buffed them and shined them and they were shiny. Um, and what's interesting is that the Kiar does not have dimensions. If every other vessel make it this big, this big, the Kiar does not have dimensions. The measure says because every single mirror had to be included. And so the Kiar was as big as it would take to make all, to include all of the mirrors that the women donated. Okay? Hmm? It's from the Medrash. From the Medrash. Okay? So the Moshe thought that was crazy that they brought him in? He thought it was inappropriate. Not crazy. He thought it was inappropriate. Like, really? Bring the threads, bring the things, but mirrors that you use to make yourself beautiful and you look at yourself and, you know, like, like our little Hasidic terminology, like, it's so gashmius, like, you know, like, what, and I should say, take it, take it, take it, because without this, we don't have, we would not have a Jewish people. We would have nobody to, to redeem. And that is one of the most precious items for me um, in, the, in, the, in the Mishkan. Okay, and it was out, okay, if you remember our diagram, we have the Holy and the Holy of Holies. Outside we have the Ark. Sorry, no. Outside we have the altar that they brought sacrifices on. And the Kir was sort of like a little bit south, but between the altar and the Holy. And the holy. If you see that metric, you send it to us. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, Beseder. So that's what's going on. So we have to wash our hands. That's the second thing that's going on. The next thing that we have... From chapter, again, chapter 30, verse 22, we have the ingredients, if you could figure it out from here, for how to make the anointing oil. It was only ever made, Rashi says, it was only ever made this one time, and Moshe used it to anoint all the vessels in the, in the Mishkan. He anointed Aaron and his sons with it, and it was going to later be used to anoint the kings from the Davidic dynasty. So we have that whole situation. It, uh, Rashi says it was only made once and they made enough and it was I meaning it wasn't something that was used all the time yeah. um, so that was so that was uh, Rashi says that it was only used once and the no it was only made once the Shemana Mishcha the anointing oil was only made that one time that Moshe was in charge of getting that made and it was used for the vessels it was used for the Aaron and his sons and it was used for the kings of the Davidic dynasty is this the oil that Eliyahu will bring back I don't know. I don't know, but it would make sense. Like, if there are certain things, it's interesting. The Medrash talks about certain things like Moshe items that are going to come back with Mashiach, like the Mishkan that Moshe built is going to come back with Mashiach. So, like, it makes sense that this is going to come back and anoint Mashiach. But I, I haven't seen it, so. Okay. The next thing that we have over here, oh, and it says, and by the way, don't make this for yourself. Okay? Just in case you were trying to figure that one out, don't do this. It was only made that one he time. Didn't make he only made two gallons of Okay, but how much do you need? If you if you, you look, your finger in, so, but, yeah. like, 
No. <laughs> it's interesting. They, no, it says you use a... a, 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 a key. In Rashi, it says a key vanis, like a, like a, a nun shape, like... Um, um, it's just, yeah, it's like... Um, no, it's, it's a specific shape that you did on the Kohanim. Um, a Greek letter, but I don't know which one it is. Key. I don't know what that is. Oh, it looks like a cuff. It looks like a cuff, like a yeah, yeah like a backwards oh, nun. It's in Rashi. You read it in Rashi, honey. You read it in Rashi. No, I know, but I'm trying to look for it. It's over here, someplace around uh, uh, here, uh, chapter thirty, verse twenty-six. Mashachtabai kolam hamshichais kimin kuf yivanis. I don't know how what a kuf yivanis looks like. So, if anybody has a picture of what a kuf yivanis looks like. Except for Aaron's, except for the kings that were like a nezer, where the kings were done in a in a crown shaped anointing. Everybody else was a kafyvanis. So if anybody knows what a kafyvanis looks like, we have one vote for like a nun looking thing. I I'm not so up on my Greek. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, we have we have. Oh, Amber Chayina doesn't actually have information in it. <laughs> okay. The next thing. Okay. The next thing that we have over here is in chapter 34, and this is the making of the Ketoris. Remember, we're still on our first Ali over here, okay? Wow. I tell you, it's long. there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. The next thing we have is to make the Ketoris, the incense. Um, it's part of davening in the morning, if anybody says the Karbanis, if we don't skip over those pages. And so here we have um, all the 11 spices that were included in it. Some of them were... Uh, is this for the oil or no? No, this is, we're finished with the oil. Now we're making the incense. How is it made? Yeah. It says you make it like a, a perfumer makes it. It doesn't give it. A... Just for the recording, verse 34, not chapter 34. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. Verse 34, thank you. Chapter 30, verse 34, we're going to start talking about the ketoris, the incense that's made. Um, and it has 11 different spices that get ground up together. One of the interesting things that, uh, that Hasidus talks about, and a lot of um, Rashi says it also here, um, one of the spices was called chelbena, and if you see Rashi over there on verse 34, chelbena says it had a terrible, terrible smell. It had a terrible smell, okay? And Rashi says, and it's called galbena, which I, I don't know how to pronounce, right? So, so and, it's, it's, and Rashi says, so why do we have this chelbena in Arcturus? It should smell beautiful. Everything should be wonderful and beautiful and, and amazing, right? We should not refrain from our prayers and from our fasting to include the sinners of, the, of Israel. Just because they... It's in Rashi. I'm not going to read it again out loud. I'm sorry. I have a hard enough time doing it the first time. Um, but Rashi says that why do we have something in the Torahs? One of the 11 spices is something that smells so bad to say that when we have communal gatherings, we have a fast, we're calling a fast, we're having a tefillah to say we count everybody. We count everybody. And if anybody remembers from Kol Nidre, from Yom Kippur, one of the first things that we do is we have a prayer that says that we have permission to pray and we have permission to, sit, to pray with the sinners. That it's not just that the people who are clean and pure and sin-free and everything is amazing, we take their prayers. Everybody's prayers are part of it. It's not just, it's not just by the way, oh, we're so nice and we're going to include you. But if it's not there, you can't offer it. 
Okay? It's part of the 11 spices of the Keturus. And if you're missing any of the spice, there are 11 spices. If, you're, if, there's, if there are any spices missing, it's invalid and you can't use it. So before we decide to say, those people are not part of my group, think again. Because everybody's part of our group. Amber. Well, it says here. Yes. There's some sages in the Gomorrah. There's a family that knew how to make it. And they asked them to teach people to make it and they refused because they didn't want the Keturus to be used after the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash for idol worship. So, so, so there's a lot of things that, there's a, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Actually, there's a lot of things, there's a lot, you know, what a, I'm, I'm going to highlight that for a second. Somebody says to the people who knew how to make the Keturus, could you teach us how to do this? And they say, no, why? Because they, they, because they're chess players. They're chess players. They're like, not, it's not about you. Who are you going to teach it to and who are you going to teach it to and how far is it going to go? And if that ends up being used for Avodah we, the first people who taught the first people, will hold ourselves responsible. Maybe Hashem won't hold us responsible. That, I'm, not, I'm not God. I'm do, not doing that. But for us to be able to see a little bit of chess player, like what is the outcome of my outcome of my actions and how do I behave in that case... That's an important thing for us to pay attention to. So thank you for, for sharing, that with us, sharing that with us. Okay? And the Keturus obviously is going to be made all often because you use it every single day. And um, interesting, just an interesting bit of trivia. I'll tell you quickly because we're going to, so we have enough time. But I'm, I'm in the middle of learning Mishnayis and one of the things that they did every single day was that they used to have a lottery first thing in the morning for the Kohanim to say who was going to do which jobs that day. Okay, and basically the the coin in the middle would everybody would would put out would put out one finger and the coin would randomly start and he would he would have thought of a number and he counseled and then they start giving out the jobs and one of the jobs that goes in a smaller lottery is anybody who never had a chance to offer the incense goes into a separate lottery to have a chance so that everybody I mean it wasn't just left to chance would it hit me but it was more closely defined anybody who never had a chance to offer the Ketoris, went into a specific lottery to be able to offer it. And just side interesting thing, that if the Kohen Gadol ever came and said he wanted to do it, he overrode whoever won the lottery. So Kohen Gadol writes over there. But uh, it was something very, very special. And it was all the different spices. And again, if remember we talked about our Kmitza, that's actually all you give of the Ketoris, a Kmitza. That little bit that's going in, and it's going to smell beautiful and fill a place with smoke, and it's going to be beautiful. And I'd say we should be blessed to see it again, but I don't think we actually ever see it. Because it's in the holy. It's done in... It's the, would you smell it? Possibly, I guess. I guess, But I wonder, like, would they have a closed-circuit camera? So, like, live stream from the Beis HaMikdash, the offering of the Ketores. That would be amazing. I don't know if they're going to do it. So I, I would like... You know, we're happy for it to happen, even if we don't get to see it. But, I, yeah, I was like, oh, we'll get... No, we're not going to get to see it. Okay, chapter 31. We're still in the first... We're, we're still in the first Aliyah. Hashem appoints the people who are going to be in charge of building the Mishkan. Who are the people who are in charge? Betzalel. Betzalel is the first person, okay? Betzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Chor, from the tribe of Yehuda, okay? And, and Hashem says... Now, I want to say something about this. How do people who were enslaved for 210 years come out and know how to work with gold and with silver and find things? I'm not talking about like the, the banging of the wood together, but like all the fine work, the weaving and the stuff, where does that 
Where do you have that ability um, to be able to do that? And Hashem says it right here. I will fill him with the, the, the spirit of Hashem. That he should know how to do everything. One of the things, and I think it's such an important lesson for us, the only criteria that was needed to build a home for God was the desire to build a home for God. Okay? All you had to do was say, I want to be part of it, and somehow it was going to work. If you didn't want to be part of it, then you weren't going to be part of it. But it didn't, the people didn't have, they didn't have this information on their own. This was not something, oh yeah, we learned in Egypt how to do fine metal work and make jewelry and blah, blah, blah. You know, we learned how to build pyramids. We didn't know how to do all these kind of stuff. Um, so, that, so that I think is so important for us to, to that place of where we say somebody will do it. Am I brave enough and bold enough to say I could be the somebody who's going to do it? And that's really, you know, in so many different areas. Like here, they're, they're lucky. Moshe said, we're building a home for God. What do you want to do about it? Who wants to step up? But I think in every single aspect of our life, we have the ability to take the time to say, this is building a home for God. When I'm nice to somebody who I don't want to maybe intrinsically be nice to, or when I want to say something snarky and I don't, I am building a home for God and will I step into that place? So that's my bracha to all of us to be, to be bold enough to step into that place to build a home for God. He was in charge. Now I want to talk, this Batala guy, good point, Elishava, how old is the Batala guy? 13. 13 years old, right? Batalel, Ben Uri, Ben Chor, who's Chor's mother? Miriam. Miriam, Chor's mother is Miriam. How old is Miriam when the Jews leave Egypt? Uh, 88. 85, 88, something like that. Okay? So she has a... Here's Miriam. Betzal ben Ori ben Chor. Betzal ben Ori ben Chor. Betzal ben Four. So it's her great-grandson, and she is 88 years old. I don't know. Whatever. He's seven, she's seven. Moshe's 80 when he stands in front of Haro, and she's, she's between... She was five or six when he was born. So... Or when the, when she, when her mother got so it's like okay. something like under that right so she's like one of those kind of numbers so so Betal is not the biggest person in the in the thing but but when Hashem chooses you to build him a home doesn't matter doesn't making it he is the contractor he is the head contractor which is why in Israel the art school is called the Betal Art Institute so it's like he's supposed to make it he's in charge of getting it made. He doesn't have to do everything, but he is in charge of making sure that it gets made. Okay, and with him is going to be uh, Ohaliyav, the son of Achisamach from the tribe of Dan. So we're having one person from the tribe of Yehuda, which the kings are going to come from. Dan is where the judges come from in the end, but it's also like sort of. So yeah, so that that's um, so we have two people. Uh, we don't know how old Ohaliyav is because. If, I don't know. We, don't, we just don't know. Okay, they're gonna they're being in charge of doing all of the, all the vessels and the walls and the clothing and everything like that and all that's going on. Okay. The next thing that we have in chapter thirty one, verse twelve, where Hashem says, "We're still in the first Aliyah." <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, what does he say? Um, oh, keep Shabbos. Keep Shabbos. I know you're so excited and you're so. Thrilled to be building a home for Hashem, but keep Shabbos. Keep Shabbos okay, Shabbos. Does Shabbos is is you know the, the building of the base of Mikdash the, or the, te, the 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 Mishkan actually does not override Shabbos, so you got to keep Shabbos. Okay, and it's a it's a covenant between you and me and the Jewish people. I have a question, but I can ask it after. Can 
short. Okay. Um, tell me if it is. I thought the malachas for Shabbos come from the building of the Mishkan. Yeah, yes. So if we haven't built it yet, and he's saying, but "By the way, keep Shabbos." No, no, no. But they're going to be, it's going to come. First of all, it's going to be mentioned a few times, and that's exactly it. it's juxtaposition. The, the juxtaposition of Mishkan and Shabbos tells us what is what constitutes work on Shabbos. Question. Who's the, who's the, who's Ohaliyav? Yeah, who's that? He's the same. and Ohaliyav are the two contractors. Okay? Yeah. We finished our first Ohaliyav. Okay, our, sec- our second one is the whole story of the, the golden calf. The, where Moshe goes up. Uh, Moshe goes, uh, he, he goes up to get the, you know, after we have Revelation, he goes up to get the, tablets. He goes up to get the Luchot. And chapter 32, which is such an interesting Hashkacha um, Pratis, that chapter 32, which is Lev, which is the heart, is going to be the story of the golden calf. Okay? We have the story where the people, uh, they were waiting for Moshe and waiting for Moshe and waiting for Moshe. Moshe does not come down. Anybody remember why does Moshe not come down? They because the people miscalculated. Exactly. The people, Moshe said, I'm going to be up for 40 days. Moshe meant 40 full days. And in Judaism, when does the day start? Yeah. At night. Moshe went up in the morning. So that first bunch of hours was not part of the count. It was going to start. So they were literally a bunch of hours off. 12 hours off. 10 hours. I don't know how long the day was then. They were a couple of hours off. Okay? It's crazy, too, how all of this happens in, like, a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's like they have no patience. They're not going to wait that little can I just say, I want to say something. I want to, yes, and yes, but I want to say something. The Jewish fatal flaw is our impatience. It is our impatience. It is our, we want it, we want everything done on our time frame. And we, we, sit, we forget very often, and I don't think we've 100% conquered this yet. God has a time frame irrespective of us. And part of the place of trusting Hashem is that he didn't, forget about us. He didn't forget about us. He didn't forget about us and our needs in the whole, you know, a, a nod to Tevya, in the vast eternal plan, he didn't forget about us, right? Um, and, and for us to be able to have faith that Hashem, you know, yes, so there is this place where we, where this impatience is something that I think we still struggle with. Like, we want to, okay, we're willing to be patient up until this point, but like, to, to remember that, wait, Hashem is a different like, scale of time going on over there. Um, so the people get impatient. Moshe doesn't, Moshe doesn't come down. Rashi brings from the Medrash that as it was getting dark on the day where they thought Moshe had, should come down, or even before, uh, the Satan shows them a, a darkened sky and Moshe lying as if he's dead. So it's like, you know, it's easy to judge them and say, how could you? I can't believe, you know, you just... 40 days ago, you had revelation, you're the biggest thing, da da da. How could you? How could you? It, it, you know, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Uh, and, and what was going on with them. And so they go to Aaron and, um, and they say to Aaron, what are they looking What is it, by the way, what was the golden calf supposed to replace? Moshe. Moshe. Okay? Not Hashem. Huh? It was their Wi Fi box. It was their Wi Fi the golden calf was supposed to replace Moshe, which is very, very interesting. Who's standing in front of them? Aaron. Aaron. 
Aaron and Moshe have done everything together now. So where was the place for them to say, oh, Moshe's not here. Let's get Aaron to lead us. Like, why was that not their natural? Because it's logical, and of course we don't do what. So, so it's interesting, you know, because this, play, this need for, for something to lead us, it, we're going to actually end up in the Mishkan. One of the things that we end up having is we do have cherubs. We do have like these angelic little sort of things, but what, but but the problem is with the golden calf. The biggest problem, or one of the biggest problems, is when we decide what our service of Hashem should look like, and then here they actually made a golden calf, right? But I think in our lives we we often decide what our service of Hashem should look like, and we create the image of what that service should look like. Now, if Hashem tells us, this is what I want you to do, then that's pretty, we're pretty sure that that's what we're supposed to be doing. So but, why not huh? So why not Aaron? So why not Aaron is a good question. I, it, it's, it's, they go to Aaron for help, but they don't go to him for substitute. And I think that if we, in Hasidus it talks a lot about the, the partnership between Moshe and Aaron, and I think it was very clear to them that there were such different roles that, um, that Aaron was not capable of doing the role that Moshe was doing. Now, why would a golden calf that we just put together now, you know, be a better option? I don't know. But also I think, you know, it's also like Rashi brings it, you know, Rashi brings a, brings that, you know, when we'll talk about it in a second, but like, I'm going to get to the other thing, but one of the things that happened with this golden calf was there's different versions of how it actually happened. Whether it was from the Erev Rav, whether it was from this Micha, the calf was alive. What? The calf was alive. Rashi brings it. It was a living, breathing, moving calf. So it was I don't know similar to anything. I don't know similar to anything. You know how it says that the Caribbean were also was like cool? a little bit animated sometimes, like they would. They could move. They could yeah. move. I don't know, but but when when you're saying like. How many things did the Jews have to fight in order to say this isn't the right answer? First of all, they have the miscalculation with the time. Then they have the Sutton showing them that Moshe is dead. and like, oh my gosh, we need to replace Moshe. And then we have something that when this thing actually goes down, it's, it's moving. It's, 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 it's like a living... Like, right, right, it sounds a little creepy. But, uh, but living like Mu or living like metaphorically? No, 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 no. Rashi says it was moving. Like Mu on a cow. Moving, it was walking, it was dancing, it was it was a it was a, a living thing. It's a living thing. So Wait, I think like, they made it from what? So they t- so so they go to Aaron and Aaron says, "Okay, everybody, bring me your wives' jewelry." Okay, so Rashi says, Rashi says, "Why bring your wives' jewelry? Because the wives aren't going to give up their jewelry so fast." Hasidus says that Aaron knew that the women were always on the God side. Whenever we had a situation something's happening and God says otherwise, the women were always on the God's side. So Moshe, so Aaron knows if he tells them, give me your wife's jewelry, they're like, what do you need my jewelry for? Golden calf, you out of your mind? No way, right? Like we could hear that conversation repeating itself in every single tent. And in fact, the women do not give their, their earrings and their jewelry, but the men take their own. So they bring all their, they bring all their gold to Aaron and Aaron says, I will do this. I will, I will do all of this by myself. A, he wants to slow them down because if one person's doing a job, it's going to take a lot longer. And also, and this is what Hasidus talks about a lot, Aaron wanted to deflect the payback that was going to happen and become a lightning rod, a lightning rod for it. 
they were they were innocent. I did it all. I was responsible for this. They had no part in it. Aaron wants to say, I did it. It's if anybody has to get punished, it should be me. Okay. Um, so so they take it. They and and then they end up having with this thing. And Aaron's trying to calm everybody down. And Rashi, I think Rashi brings over here um, that um, that when Aaron was trying to stall the people. Um, Chor, when Moshe goes up, he says, Aaron and Chor, where, ha- where have we met Chor before, besides being, Betzal, besides being Saul's grandfather? Where have we met Chor before? Anybody remember? Um, by name. Where have we met Chor by name? Uh, Amalek. The war with Amalek. Where was Chor? In the back. Not in the back. In the front. Not in the front. In the middle. No. <laughs> Hor was on the mountain with Moshe. No. Oh. Aaron, Moshe, and Hor go onto the mountain, and Moshe and Aaron and Hor are supporting right. Moshe's hands. Hor is not a nobody. Oh, he's, the he's there. He's part of the leadership. And so when Moshe goes up, he says, Aaron and Hor are here. If you have any questions, go to them. And they go to Hor, and he's like, are you out of your mind? No way. And what do they do, Rashi says? They killed him. They killed four. And when Aaron saw that, he realized that um, this was not going to end well. And he had to find a way to slow them down. And I want to say one thing. I want to say one thing. Because we're shocking but true. We're running out of time. Um, I want to say one thing. The golden calf becomes the biggest stain on our collective Jewish whatever being. Now, if you actually look when the, when the punishment goes down and it looks like a crazy number of people are killed, 3,000 people get killed on the spot when Moshe comes down because they actually had worshipped the golden calf and there were witnesses and they had been warned. And then there's a plague and more people die and then they, Moshe grinds up the calf and everybody drinks it and more people die. Mix it with water, water and, and, and gold, whatever. More people die. But if you look at the sum total of everybody that dies, and it's a big number. I think the number is like 75,000 people. That's a lot, a lot of people. But not compared to the amount of people that were there at the camp. Where was everybody else? When this mob came to Aaron and said, where was everybody else standing behind Aaron saying, no. This is not happening on our watch. Where was everybody else? And when we talk about how does this become the biggest blot on the Jewish, not because of the people who sinned, yes, because of them, but where was the silent majority who was quiet and let it happen? And that's what we're being, that's what we're being punished for. We're not being punished for the 75,000 people who served the, the golden calf. We could explain them away from this and that and the other. But one of the big things, and a lot of the Farshim talk about, where was every, why was Aaron facing down this mob by himself? Where was everybody else? And I think that today we see it so, so, so clearly that when we just do nothing, it doesn't end well. It's, that's not our Jewish response. Even if we aren't going to say something, but where is our body to show up and to be part of protecting the holiness of Hashem? Hello, people, we just had revelation 40 days ago. 
Aaron says to them, in the morning, it'll all be clear, because he knows that in the morning, Moshe's coming back. Chag Hashem Machar, he says. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a celebration for Hashem tomorrow. He knows Moshe's coming back. It's going to be a celebration for Hashem. Where was everybody standing with Aaron? And the fact that they weren't there, that's where, that's what we, that's a lot of the first time talking about, that's, that's where our problem is. Not the people who serve the golden calf. In the, in the scheme of things, if we say 600,000 men, and then you extract them, you have between two and three, and some people, they fight, how many millions of Jews left Egypt? Where was everybody? And why was Aaron by himself having to deal with this, with this Balagam? Now you could say, you could say, you know, how many times does something happen? You know, sometimes I used to get calls from America. Is everybody okay? I'm like, what happened? You know, you turn on the radio. Okay, there was stuff, you know, stuff happening in Israel. Mount Rockets in Ashkelon, not near us at all. You know, like I feel like I'm not being, I'm not belittling the situation. It's possible that people, Pasha, didn't know what was going on. And it's also possible that they just chose not to know what was going on. Because in a desert, when sound travels, we could say, oh, it's not my problem, and I'm going to just ignore the situation. Um, so I want to give us a plug that we, that we don't, that we don't ignore. That from the smallest places, when we see people being shamed or bullied or whatever, to the bigger spaces of where we're able to like, stand and be counted as people are standing for God, um, to, to really to be able to stand up to that. Um, uh, okay. Hash, Moshe's up by Hashem. One of my favorite lines in Torah, Hashem says to him, go down because your nation is sinning. And Moshe's like, my nation? Where are I going? My nation? My nation is sinning? Right? But what's interesting, and we talk about the Moshe comes down and he, he breaks the tablets Chassidus talks about the tablets and describes the tablets as a living organism, not actually heart beating, but it was something very, it was an, a live kind of thing. And Moshe's holding two massive chunks of stone. Set, well, the next was for sure was Saffron. I don't know what the first ones were. And, they, and, 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 and the Medrash text talked about that the letters flew up. The letters saw what was going on and they left. And then Moshe's just holding heavy stone. We know that there's, there's a principle that that a living person holds themselves. The luchas, as long as the letters were part of it, they were alive and they were holding themselves. Somebody who, was a, who passes away, unfortunately, weighs so much more than they did an hour ago, right? Um, and that's what happens to the luchas. All of a sudden, Moshe is left with heavy stones and they... They also said that he they, wrestled with 70 like, elders because they tried to take it from him. He's like, no, you don't deserve it anymore. With Medrash, says. With Medrash, yeah. And then he breaks them because he got the fight between... The so there's different Medrashim, but that's, that's one of the things. Okay. <sighs> People, we finished the second Aliyah. <laughs> 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 Actually, we didn't. There's a whole conversation about how it goes on and what goes on and, and the whole thing. Um, we are shockingly out of time, but like in a big way. There's a lot of stuff that happens uh, further on. We have um, Moshe moving his tent away. We have um, Hashem, Moshe asking Hashem, Hashem's like, I'm not traveling with these people anymore. And Moshe's saying, no, please, please, please stay with us. So Hashem's like, fine. And Hashem, and, and, and in this sort of back and forth between Hashem, Moshe asks for 
a sign that you're going to be with us. He gives him the 13 attributes of mercy. We're going on. So we talk about Kisisa, this elevation. There is some kind of elevation that's coming on. And in the end, we have the, his, his commandment to make, to, to shape, shape new stones. And at the end, we have some more mitzvahs going on. We have the mitzvah of firstborn animals, firstborn people. And um, coming to see the coming to Hashem three times a year. There's more stuff we didn't finish at all. I want to give us a bracha. Okay, I want to give us a bracha. This week is Parshas Kisisa or Parshas Kitisa. It's also Parshas Para. And, and we're sort of in this... I, I started this and say this feels like the day after. We're, I feel like we're still in this glow of the day after. Um, so maybe it's not hungover, but whatever. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but I want to give us a bracha that we're coming from Purim. And we're in this, like, we're still in that, like, the excitement and the joy of, of Purim. Mm-hmm. And as we face our challenges, because the things that are going on, you know, this Parsha, you can't ignore the fact that we made a golden calf and we, we were so misguided. As we face the things that are hard for us and the mistakes that we've made, we should do it with simcha and understand that wherever it is and no matter what it is that we've done, Parshas para, we can be forgiven. If we, if somebody could be forgiven for going so far away from Hashem, they are spiritually dead. No matter what it is that we've done, we could be forgiven. And I'm going to add, but we got to do it with simcha. We got to do it from a place not because we're so afraid of being struck down by lightning, but we have to be doing. We have to be coming to our tshuva and our mistakes from a place of simcha, understanding that Hashem just wants to be with us, and we want to be with Him. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying we don't have to fix it. We have to fix it. But it should come from a place of simcha that we want to reconnect from a place of, of goodness, of gladness, of relationship, and not from a place of fear. Have an awesome rest of the day. Have a great Shabbos. And yeah.